Well, let me go ahead and say happy Sabbath to everyone. It's very, very thankful to see all of you, and we are continually growing as a church, and uh, we are very grateful to God because we are just beginning. God has great things in store for his people, and it is time that the world gets to know about the true and living God in such a time as this in Earth's history. And so I'm very thankful that all of you have made it today, and I trust that God has a special blessing in store for you. So as we prepare to receive the word, let us all, if you are able to, go to our knees in a word of prayer. And if you cannot kneel, that's all right. You bow your head where you are. But if you can kneel, let's kneel together as we prepare for God to speak directly to our hearts. Our loving Father, we are grateful, Lord, for you bringing us safely through another week. We thank you for this time, this opportunity, where we on earth remain silent as heaven speaks. We know that you have a message for us, but we are praying that you'll please abide with us. Forgive us of our sins and give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to the church at such a time as this in earth's history. And we ask that you will make your words plain to us. And Lord, while I trust that this message will prove a blessing to others, I pray, please do not pass me by. I am asking for a fresh endowment of your Holy Spirit that I, too, may have a sensitive heart to your voice and I will receive Christ my righteousness. And I pray these things in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. Last week, we talked about the importance of looking at the principles of the gospel and health. Since New Year's, we have been focusing a lot on the gospel of health. And uh, the reason for that is because in, in God's mind, he's always connected the body, the emotion of man, the mental faculties, and spirituality as one. It is something that one affects the other. What goes on in your mind is going to affect your body. What goes on in your body is going to affect your mind. The goal that God has set for each and every one of us is going to require a total surrender of the entire man, a complete surrender of self. And it's going to involve not just our spiritual habits, but it's going to involve also our physical and our day-to-day -day practical habits. And we saw yesterday, or last week, that we saw that we're living in a time where the reality is that while a war started in heaven, that war transitioned somewhere. Where did the war transition to? It transitioned right here to this earth. That's what the Bible says. And because of that, the Bible encouraged us to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And we saw that Satan, like any smart assassin, every assassin has a target point. And Satan's target point was none other than what we studied in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. We saw that in, you know, connected to being sober was none other than doing this. The Bible says, wherefore, gird up the loins of where? Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And then it says, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the target point that Satan wants for you and for me is our minds. It is the target point that God wants. Go to the book of Proverbs 23. It was right there in Proverbs 23. When I ask people, what do you think God wants with you? You know, I often say, does God want you? They'll say, yes, he does. Then I'll say, well, what does he want about you? And often we don't know the answer to that. Well, we're going to know the answer today. In Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, the Bible is very, very clear of what God wants. And it's spelled out in Proverbs. We're looking at chapter 23, but we're going to consider verse 26. What is it that God wants from you? What is it that God wants from me? The Bible is very clear in Proverbs 23 and verse 26. And when you get there, please let me know by saying amen. amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 26, it says, my son, Give me your what? Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. That word heart means mind. The number one target point of both God and Satan is the human mind. And so we learned that the great controversy 
is between Christ and Satan, but it's over the human mind. That is the target point for both God and Satan. Now, why do they want the mind? Go up to verse 7. If you go up to verse 7 of that same book and chapter, Proverbs 23, we find that why, we get the reason why God wants our mind, we get the reason why Satan has targeted our minds. It says in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, for as he thinks in his mind, what are those next three words? So is he. Whoever has the mind has the man. Whoever has the mind has the woman. And this is the reason why God really wants his people to think straight in these very last moments of Earth's history. He wants us to have clear minds because I assure you that the devil, roaring like that lion that he is, he is really seeking to devour us, and all of his devouring efforts start with the mind. And this is why we learned last week, this is the battleground. It's the mind. And just this, this, believe it or not, this was the bulk of the work of Jesus when he walked on this earth. He was trying to reach the minds of people, trying to reach their hearts. We often read it was heart work with Christ. It would better be termed it was mind work with Christ. He was always trying to reach the mind of the individual. He didn't want us to just be automations, you know what I'm saying? He didn't want us to just follow him because he said so simply. He wanted us to develop something that we talked about in Sabbath school today. A love for the truth. A love for righteousness. A love for Jesus. A love for his law. A love for his church. Because when love, I've learned something about the power of love. Love can break the deepest bondage in the hearts of men. Love is powerful, especially when it's heaven-born. When it is heaven-born love, it can free us from any type of bondage that we suffer with today. And so the truth of the matter, matter is, is that our issue often is a lack of love, the proper love, the biblical love, godly love. And God says the only way that we're going to get that is he's going to have to plant that in our minds. And so it is that the great controversy between Christ and Satan is over the human mind. This is the battleground. And that is why there's another way of saying gird up the loins of the mind is guard well the avenues of the soul. You see, righteousness by faith has always been built on this idea of cooperation. Righteousness by faith is not God does everything and you do nothing. Righteousness by faith is not God does nothing and we do everything and then call on him when we're in desperate need. True righteousness by faith has always been built on the same exact principle, cooperation with God. There's something that God does and there's something we do. He supplies the power. He gives the wisdom. He gives the command. You and I yield. We yield. He says we do. Is that too simple? Some people think that's too simple. That's, that's it. God literally says you do. There's so much power. We love talking about how God says, let there be light. And there was light. We, we, we like that. You know, we like, man, the word of God has power. But what we don't understand is that that same word, which he has now contained in these 66 books, that same word has power. You see, when God said, let there be light, it wasn't like the light was saying, well, let me think about that. What did the light do? It yielded. When God said, let the earth bring forth fruit, the earth didn't say, let me think about that. The earth yielded. The earth said, so let it be done. If we could learn from the light, if we could learn from the earth that when God speaks, we yield and we say, according to your word, so let it be done, even if it's against my own will. This is the secret to success, not just financially, but spiritually, domestically, academically, in every area of life. This is the formula. And the formula is never going to change. God is going to get us on his page. Our work is not to get God on our page. Our work is to learn how to hear the voice of God and make sure it's a clear voice. And then once we hear that certain sound, not my will thy will be done. And there's a wonderful little statement from a book I, I often love to read. It's called Early Writings. And in Early Writings, page 72, it says, faith, which is trusting the word of God only, 
It says, faith is ours to exercise, but joyful feeling and the blessing is God's to give to us. Can you imagine that? God says, you just exercise, you just trust what I said. And God says, in all the feelings you don't have, God says, I will download it high speed, spiritually speaking, fiber optic network fast. God is like, I will download that thing inside of you. And all of a sudden, you're going to have peace with your decision. That's literally how the gospel works, which is very different from our world, isn't it? We live in a world today that says, I got to feel it first and then I do it. So now we find that we're living in a world of postmodernism where my feelings are the truth. If I feel it, it must be true because I feel it. And that is one of the most successful lies that Satan has fed humanity. Jesus says, no, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so please understand that biblical Christianity goes directly against the ideology of postmodernism and a lot of this feeling, lifestyle and religion that we see so highly promoted in our world today. May God help the church to come back to biblical religion. Now, let's continue. Revelation chapter 12. Let's turn there. You see, understanding this, God says, now, if you're going to have success, you know, God wants us to have success. And I remember a time when I, you know, I really wanted to have success when it came to finances and stuff. And I had to learn something. There was a guy, he said something pretty deep to me. He was a gentleman of Asian descent. And evidently, he had a rich dad and a poor dad figure in his life because he wrote a book about it. And uh, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I went through a lot of it. It was pretty mind-blowing, quite honestly, at that time in my life when I read it. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts that was put out was, listen, if you want to get further in life, now again, this was just my little financial pursuits of life. He said, you know, take a good look at your boss, because one thing's for sure, you're never going to make more than them. And so if your boss is over here, and you're working for them following their protocol, you can never get past where they are because that's the reason they're your boss. The day you get past them, that means you're their boss. And so I remember looking at that and I remember calling my manager up. This is at the time I was making $17,500 a year. And uh, <laughs> you know, I just got married. And my wife had the audacity to tell me two months after our marriage that she was pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, honey, the agreement was two years. You know, but she didn't listen. <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course, I'm being silly. But the point is, is this, is like, I remember she's telling me like, Dwayne, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm like, man, I'm going to be a father. So now it's not only like my bride from my side. Now I got to worry about how am I going to bring up my children? You know, take good care of them, give them a good life, maybe something better than my mom and dad gave me. So I remember Robin, which was my manager. I went to Robin and I was like, Robin, can I talk to you? And she was like, sure. I said, um, if you don't mind my asking, um, how much do you make? <laughs> you know, because I mean, money became really important to me once I found out I'm gonna be a family man. You know, I was like, man, I gotta take care of my children. You know, I, got, I can't go out like that. I gotta take care of my kids. So I said, Robin, how much do you make a year? She was like, $42,000 a year. And this is in New York. And I'm just like, <sighs> and she says, and that's with two master degrees. And I was like, you know, I had a GED. So, you know, I'm just like, so I'm going to go into tens of thousands of debt just to get the master's degree, just to make, I got to do something different. And that literally, and, and it transitioned me. And the first thing I ever did was I got into sales. I got into professional sales and I said, well, it seems like most successful businessmen had a sales background. So let me start doing sales. So that, literally I started doing it and that's a whole testimony in and of itself. But my point is simple. If you want to go further in life, you need to constantly have contact with people that are where you're trying to go. And that's not just a good principle in money. That's a good principle in spirituality. When I joined the church, I come from the world, right? I mean, I'm a worldly dude all the way through. So I'm coming from the world of hip hop and R&B. I'm a dancer and I'm a, I'm a former dancer and choreographer for major hip hop and R&B artists. So I know worldliness. So I joined the church. I give all of that up. 
And guess what I did? I met a whole bunch of people around my age. Hey, buddy, how you doing? My name's Dwayne, you know, trying to make friends. These brothers are trying to go into the world. So I'm like, hold up. So you, 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 you guys are staring at the world? Yeah, man, don't you want to be like the world? I'm like, I'm coming from the world. I have no desire. So that's why early in my years in the church, I hung out with older people. Why? Because the younger people were trying to go in the direction that I was coming from. So I was like, I have no interest in this. So what I did was I listened to the older folks who were serious about their walk with God. And I was like, so you mean to tell me you really take the Sabbath day seriously? Why? And man, they would just drop these seeds of knowledge in my head. I mean, every time I, I loved coming to church because it was like I was always around these guys who knew more than me and they had what I wanted. You'd be amazed at how much that'll bless your life. Hang around people who have what you know you need and what you want. You will grow exponentially. And God is trying to say, I want you to hang out with me because guess what? God knows everything. And God wants us to understand how to win. You see, I'm going to show you today a beautiful key of how to win. Because whether you like it or not, and whether you ask for it or not, beloved, you are in a war. You did not ask to be about that. I told you the great controversy started in heaven, but it still continues. It's just transition locations. Now it's on earth and you and I are caught dead smack in the middle. And so as far as I'm concerned, what we need to learn how to do is we need to learn how to fight. We got to learn losing is not an option. Giving up is not an option. You got to think like that, family. I'm very serious. You cannot contemplate and entertain losing. Can you imagine the three Hebrew faithfuls when Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, when the golden image is set up, uh, when the music plays, I want everybody to bow. So then the music starts playing. And the next thing you know, everybody's bowing and you see these three brothers standing. So you see Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael standing when everybody else is bowing. Obviously, they're sticking out like a sore thumb. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He brings those brothers before him and he says, listen, is, it, is this right what I heard that you guys didn't bow? And you can imagine his tone of voice and how he's looking at him like, you, you know, judgment's about to come on you. And then when he goes into, if you don't bow, you're going to be thrown into the fire and you're going to be burnt up and all this other stuff. If those three brothers would have said, can you give us a second, Nebuchadnezzar? Listen, man. That thing is hot. Have you ever been burnt before? I got burnt when I was five. That thing killed me. It's like if they would have had conversation about how hot the fire is, how painful the experience is going to be, we'd never have the story of Daniel 3. We would never have that story. But what did they say? They said, we are not careful in answering this question. Those brothers immediately stood up. They didn't take time to think about it and parlay on the thought. They just simply said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to take time to think about this. We want to let you know something right now. We are not going to bow down to your idol. Our God is able to deliver us. And guess what? If he doesn't deliver us, we want you to know and understand right now, we're not bowing down to your idols. They were decided. What to God we had some young people like that today. That's just decided. And especially young people amongst each other. Brothers and sisters, I'm just, I'm just speaking to you from the heart. You got to get such a resolve in your mind that even when you hang out with your friends, if somebody starts trying to steer your mind in the wrong direction, that is when you let them know, oh, I'm sorry, you must have gotten the wrong notification. My first fidelity and faithfulness to any man is to Jesus Christ. And I love you, but if you're going to go in this direction, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go alone. You know, there's a, um, there's a hymn. There's a hymn. Uh, it's in our modern Seventh-day Adventist hymnals, page 444, and it's called I'm a Pilgrim. And in that hymn, it only has three stanzas. In the original hymnal, it had six stanzas. If you were to go back to the original there's a stanza in there that I think is so applicable to today. And here's what that stanza says. This is the verse that is not in the modern day hymnal. And I'm not here to put an indictment on our modern day hymnals. I'm just letting you know there was more to the song. That's it. Now, do you know what the other verse says in the hymnal? Father, mother, sister, and brother, 
If you will not journey with me, I must go. Now since your vain hopes you do thus cherish, should I to linger and with you perish? I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry but a night. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had young people that had that kind of resolve? Father, mother, sister, brother, if you're not going to journey with me, I'm sorry, I have to leave you because I got to go. Can you imagine that? What a powerful verse. What God is saying is we must be decided, and it all starts with the mind. Now watch this, Revelation 12. It was right there in verse 8 that the Bible said something very deep. It said in Revelation 12, we're considering now verse 8, and here's what it says. After the dragon was identified in verse 7, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. It then said in verse 8, and he prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So the there indicates that it was more than Satan. It was Satan as well as other angels. Are you following that? It says the dragon and his angels. So their place was not found. So the fallen angels, very appropriately called, Fallen angels, along with Satan, all came down. Now, where did they land? Verse 12. It says in verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, because the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So it's not just Satan that came on this earth. It's the fallen angels with them. That term today that we would use for fallen angels is we would say demons. You understand that? We would call them demons for short. Fallen angels, angels that once were in a holy position before God, but now they have departed from God, turned away from his truth, and now they are fallen angels. They have earned this term called demons. Now the Bible tells us about a story in Mark 5. A man who was possessed with demons. And one day Jesus asked them and said, well, what's your name? And the demons responded and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. I looked up that word Legion. And the word Legion is a very interesting word. It's, it, it's a Roman regiment, like a Roman army, Legion. Now keep in mind, a Legion was in one man, a legion. When I look up the Roman regiment, these Roman armies, what I found was that they can ha a Roman legion or a Roman regiment can consist of 4,200 infantry and 300 equities. So you're talking about one Roman regiment can consist of thousands of soldiers. And they said they called us legion. So there's many of us inside of this man. What God is trying to impress upon us is that there are untold thousands, yea, millions of angels that were in heaven, that left heaven and came down on this earth. And their work and their influence is to cause us to break our fidelity to God, our faithfulness. So this is why Paul says, Oh, you thought it was bad because you were just fighting against people, but you're fighting against more than people. Go to the book of Ephesians 6. You see, in Ephesians 6, God presents the war in its proper picture. In Ephesians, we're looking at the uh, sixth chapter. The Bible is very, very clear. In Ephesians chapter 6. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. It says in verses 11 and 12, Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, put on how much? It says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then it says in verse 12, why? For because we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the war we're in. It's a very deep spiritual war. And this is why the world of mental health is so limited. 
The world of mental health is very limited because often what they consider in the practice of mental health are typically three things. When an individual is battling with mental health disorders and all these other problems, they will often look at their biological, psychological, and environmental lifestyle. They're going to look at the biological, what's going on, let's check their hormones out, let's see how they're doing in their chemical composition. Two, they're going to look at psychological, how they think. Three, they're going to look at their environment. But the one area that you don't find in traditional medicine is the spiritual. And I am not here to negate biological. There are a lot of people that are just low on serotonin and need to increase it. There are a lot of people that are low on certain hormones and whatnot, and they need to increase it, and life will be very good. So biological, psychological, environmental is good. It's good. Amen? But it's imperative that we also consider the spiritual. And that's why I keep showing you the church is relevant to the crisis of health that we have today. That, that's something I've been trying to impress upon the heart over and over and over again, is that the church is relevant to the crisis that our world is in today when it comes to mental health issues. We are very relevant because who's going to speak to the spiritual? Now watch this. In Luke 9, the Bible indicated something, and sometimes we missed it. Let me show you. Go to Luke 9. Like I said, I'm, sure, I'm going to show you how to win by the grace of God, but you got to understand how, how, what we're up against, and you got to have the proper arsenal to deal with it. Now, in Luke 9, watch what the Bible says here. Very powerful. When Jesus put together his team, his disciples, right? When Jesus put his disciples together, he had to give them something, because Jesus knew, I know what you're going up against. I know what you're getting ready to face. And so what does the Bible say in Luke 9, verse 1? It says in Luke 9 and verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them something very important. What did he give them? It says, and he gave them power and authority over what? All devils. You understand that? He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. So this is what Jesus did. Now, the reason why this is important is because go back one chapter to Luke 8. In Luke 8, we have a pretty serious story on our hands. In Luke 8, we got the story of a man who was possessed with a devil. And the Bible says in Luke 8 and verse 27, let's take a look. It says, and when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. One of the signs of him having devils long time is it says he wear what? No clothes. The man was walking around naked. It says, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and, wished aloud, and, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God of most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. So this demon is speaking through this man who's in a pretty bad shape. Now, Long story short, Jesus heals him. But I thought to myself, isn't this interesting, the condition that he was in after he was healed? What does it say in verse 35? In verse 35 of the same book and chapter, it says in verse 35, it says, Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, now what's his condition? He's clothed, but what else? And he's what? In his right mind. So that means that when the devil had possession on him, he was naked and out of his mind. There's a lot of things that's happening in our world that the medical world says, we don't understand this. But God says, I do. And God says a lot of people are undergoing attacks from the enemy. And we do the world no favor to become so intelligent and get so deep in philosophizing that we negate and neglect and hush our mouths to the reality that we are in a spiritual warfare. Now, 
If there's one influence that the devil loves to have over God's people, if there's a specific demon that I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt is plaguing and infecting and hurting the people of God, it is none other than the demon of intemperance. This demon is probably the most overworked of Satan's arsenal, the demon of intemperance. And parents were counseled, guard your children against this, which means that Satan starts at early ages. Because in this little book right here, Child Guidance, page 401, paragraph 2, here's what it says. It says, intemperance is on the decline. Oh, no, it says increase. It says intemperance is on the increase in spite of the efforts made to control it. We cannot be too earnest in seeking to hinder its progress to raise the fallen and shield the weak from temptation. With our feeble human hands, we can do but little, but we have an unfailing helper. Let the church say hallelujah for that. Now watch. It says we must not forget that the arm of Christ can reach to the very depths of human woe and degradation. He can give us help to conquer even this terrible demon of intemperance. There's a demon of intemperance that wants to get you and I on its side at any and every moment, family. You see, when you think of the word temperate, self-control. When you think of the word intemperate, lack of self-control. Now, this issue of self-control is big because it took down, at least for a moment, some of God's greatest warriors. Notice this. Moses. Do you know in Numbers chapter 20, Moses loses control as a result of the people's rebellion and his own distrust in God. And it caused him to not even go into Canaan land. For a moment, Moses lost control. How about this one? David loses control because of his passion for another man's wife and commits adultery as well as murder in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. The dangers of not having control over yourself. How about this one? Esau loses control and gives up his birthright just so the brother could have some food. Not, not even a grocery list of food, one meal. And he gave up his birthright. This is the power of lack of self-control. Fast forwarding to our day, right? When we look at our day, you know, right now, this is the latest news. Some of you might understand that picture. Maybe you don't. Dante Wright. The sentence was just given to the police officer who killed him. And, you know, right now in the black community family, there's a, there's a lot of dissidents. There's, there's a lot of issues. And the subject of police brutality is the subject of the day. And I believe that there is a need for police reform. I believe there is definitely a need to address police brutality because it's real and it does exist. But I'll say this. What hurt me when I watched Dante Wright's video, what hurt me when I watched many, many others who have died, especially from the black community, but even outside of the black community, but obviously because I'm black, I do give double attention to the black community. One of the things that I did notice that I said, man, I wish I was there. To, I wish I was there is we see a lot of individuals losing control of themselves shortly before they're killed. In other words, I have two sons who are both here in this sanctuary, my beloved son Caleb and my beloved son Jared who played the piano before you in the music. I have taught these boys from a youth. I said, listen guys, we live in a world that is not always fair. Because sometimes we, we say, that's not fair. They shouldn't do that. Who said we lived in a world that was fair? That's a deception right there. To believe you live in a fair world, you're in a deception. You're deceived. We don't live in a fair world. Our world, our judicial system, all sorts of stuff, they've shown themselves unfair on many occasions. Black, white, red, yellow, green. It doesn't matter what color. And so I taught these boys from a youth. I said, when a cop pulls you over, because I'm smart enough to know the world that I live in. I said, if a cop pulls you over and they call you any and everything but a child of God, I said, you have only two words to say to them. Only two words. 
Yes, sir. That's it. But dad, what if, what if, what if they're violating my rights and all this? I said, listen, what I've learned is when you're dead, you can't fight for your rights. And so when the cop pulls you over, whether right or wrong, you have only two words, yes, sir. It is when you are in prison, it is when you call us and tell us to come there, then we're gonna roll up our sleeves and we're gonna throw down with that police station. But you don't fight right there. So what am I trying to teach? You maintain control, because every time I watch these videos, what do I keep seeing? I see the brothers like this, but officer, that's not right, that's not right. Oh yeah, 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 you know, whatever. And they say whatever, and next thing you know, no, that's not right! And then the rest is history that moment of losing control. So literally, intemperance plays a role even in some of the worst atrocities that we're seeing in our world today. How about this one? If we only understood the damage that is happening to our young people because of their lack of ability to control themselves of how much time they spend on a screen, if you remember last week we talked about depression and we talked about suicide amongst young people, look up the connections between too much screen time and how it connects to depression that can lead to the suicide. It's shocking. And you know what hurt me the most about it? That guy right there, a lot of people know who that is. Let me see if I can do this real quick. Let me see. Yeah, y'all know him. <laughs> Y'all know him, right? That's Jeff Bezos. Um, no, not Je that's Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve Jobs. What is Steve? What, what, how, does, how does the world know Steve Jobs? Apple. Apple. Now, what's interesting about this man when he was alive is I got this article. Take a picture of that. Go look that up because this is a very powerful article. This is from Business Insider. Very powerful. It, it was May of 2020, this article. What they showed was the bottom line was this. Interviews with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Sundar Pichai, and other tech power players revealed that Silicon Valley parents are strict about technology use. The people who created Snapchat are actually telling their own children, don't spend a lot of time on that stuff. Some of them, the CEO of Snapchat, he only allows his child to be on for an hour and a half per week the creator of Snapchat. While he got all of, a lot of the young folks, one and a half hour per day, or per half day. In other words, intemperance. I'm helping you to understand everything we're seeing in our world, do you know they're all, they all are founded, all these evils that we see in our world, they're actually founded upon this one issue, intemperance. And that's why this little old lady from the 1800s with that third grade education, but under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, said this. Intemperance lies at the foundation of all the evil in our world. That's the reality. Family, we are a generation that is out of control. And the devil has done this. We simply yielded. What God wants to do is bring us back into control. And it's going to require us yielding to him. Now watch. Jesus comes along and he says, all right, well, you know what? My people are in trouble. So what does Jesus do? He does what he knows best. He sacrifices himself for us. And he comes to this earth and he says, I'm going to live your life. I'm going to go through your battles and go through your temptations. And I'm going to show you how to win. And so the Bible says in John 16 and verse 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He says, because I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I know that the world is attractive. I know that the world pulls, but good news. I face the world and I beat it. And then he says in Revelation 3 verse 21, to him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. Jesus literally says, I overcame and I'm going to show you 
how to overcome. So when I look at the life of Jesus, I love how Jesus is the solution. I love how beholding him, studying him, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you the truth, study the mind, character, and personality of Jesus. Don't just appreciate him because he died for you and so on. I want you to appreciate him because he lived for you as well. He came to show you and I how to live. It was in John 14 in verses 30 and 31 that Christ made it very clear. The devil is in this world, but he has nothing in me. Wouldn't it be nice to say that? Wouldn't it be nice that we could say that? To say, oh, yeah, I know Satan is in this world, but he has nothing in me. He has no control over me. This is my passion. This is my heart's desires to be able to say, yes, the devil is in this world, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. It says in 1 Peter 2 that even when Jesus went through all sorts of temptations and sufferings, it says, yet he never, ever sinned. It says that he refused to do it. He refused to break the heart of his father. And I want you to see, he that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. Jesus says, I want you to live the same life. Now listen, family, this might be deep to some of you, I don't know, but Jesus came to this earth to be more than just the one who saves us from sin. He wanted to show you and I how to live a holy life. And that's another dynamic of studying Christ. He did not just come to show us that I'm going to save you. He says, I also came to show you how to live a holy life. And so when we look at Jesus, we can see some beautiful things. You see, we're going to be attacked by demons. We're surrounded by them all the time. And they are relentless. They don't sleep. But thank God, neither does our Heavenly Father. Neither does the Holy Spirit. Neither does his holy angels. So there's more on our side than against us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. But if we're going to win, here we are. James 4 and verse 7 says this. You want to beat the enemy? You don't want him to have dominion over you? Here's the deal. The scripture says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, I, I used to hear for years, especially when I was in the Pentecostal church, I used to hear for years, resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil, and he will flee. And I thought it was so interesting how the first part of the verse was not mentioned. The Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. In other words, if there's some of you in this room right now, I don't know why I'm always dominated by sin. I don't know why, but I have these habits, and I seem to always be overcome by these habits. If there's any of you under the sound of my voice, it seems like every time I try, I fail. Then that means that either the problem is with God, or maybe the problem is with us. I would like to submit the problem is not with our creator. The problem is with us. And this point right here, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the problem. Are you submitted? Are you and I submitted? It's not that God doesn't want to give us the victory. The problem is we're not submitted. Now, let's talk about that. What does God mean by be submitted? Let's go to Matthew 4. I want you to watch this. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, God shows us what he means by being submitted. And guess who he uses? He uses none other than our pattern man, Jesus himself. I want you to see how to submit. Because it's one thing to say submit to God. It's another thing to see how to submit. So let's look at Matthew chapter four. We're going to look at verses one and two. In Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2, here's what the Bible says. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now watch verse 2. And when he had fasted, how long? Forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now, that word hungered, if we're not careful, we will look at the word hunger like how you're probably feeling right now. Like if you didn't have breakfast this morning, maybe some of you are and hungered. 
Some of you are like, man, you know, maybe, you know, every so often your belly makes that noise and you do the fake cough to cover it. You know, I understand your belly starts going, and you go, <laughs> you know, you, you, try, you don't want people to hear that your belly is saying, I'm, I'm hungered. That is not what Jesus was going through, because you know you're going to be all right for another couple of hours if you had to wait. But watch this. When it says he was hungered, it means he was famished. If you don't know what the word famished means, it means to cause to suffer severely from hunger. In fact, the archaic uh, definition was to cause to starve to death. So this is what Jesus is going through. He's literally starving to death. It's like, and that makes sense, because if you don't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, you're starving to death. You're going through it. So this is what he's going through, okay? So now let's continue in Matthew 4. Now watch it, verses 3 and onward. It says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now let's stop there. Sometimes our problem with reading the Bible is we just read it for such naked face value that we don't allow our minds to enter into the experience. If I were to say to any of you in this room, how many of you, how many of you are tempted to go 225 miles per hour in your car? I would like to submit some of you are not going to be tempted for other reasons. But can I give you the biggest reason why you're not going to be tempted? Because your car cannot go 225 miles per hour. Are you following that? Did you, did you catch that point? A man's, the weight of a man's temptation is connected to his ability to fulfill the temptation. You see, if Satan came to me and said, Dwayne, if you're really a child of God, command that the stones be made bread. And I'm going to say, Satan, that is retarded because I can't turn stones into bread. You understand? That? Are you getting my point? It's like, that makes no sense, Satan. Why would you tempt me with that? I can't turn stones into bread. I could say bread, bread, bread. I could do all of that. It's not going to turn into bread because I don't have that power. But what about Jesus? He is starving to death. There's no food around him. There's no store, there's no grocery store, there's no cook, there's no Mary or Martha waiting, there's nothing. And so Satan says, turn the stone into bread. And the first thing that goes into Jesus' mind, it says, you know, I can do that. So again, the weight of his temptation is directly connected to his ability to fulfill the temptation. And so please don't sleep on these stories that you read in Matthew 4. In other words, Jesus' temptations was worse than anything we could ever face in life. Because everything that he was tempted to do, he actually could do it. Are you following that? Let's continue reading. It says in verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 7. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want you to notice that every single time Jesus was tempted, severe temptation, is he submitting himself to God? What specifically is Jesus submitting himself to? God's word. God's word. What ends up happening in verse 11 after he goes through this the third time? It says in verse 11, then the devil what? Leaves him. That's exactly what we just read in James 4. So when James says, submit yourself therefore to God, Resist the devil with the word, and he will flee. He's going to leave. Did the devil attack Jesus more than once? Will he attack you and I more than once? Yes. But what is the one tool that we have that he has left for us, that if we use that tool faithfully, he says you'll win every single time? It's his word. Now, here's the problem. You can't submit to what you don't know. Think about your day-to-day -day battles. Think about your day-to-day -day trials. 
how much word do you have for your day-to-day -day battles and your day-to-day -day trials? How much of God's words do you have in your possession? How much of his promises are you and I aware of that we can go back to those words, trust those words, yield to what it says, though there's nothing in us that feels to do it, and then see the salvation of the Lord? What I'm realizing more clearly than I've ever seen it before, beloved, our biggest struggle is we don't know the word as we should, and therefore we are not empowered to submit unto it as we could. And that's why the devil has such a field day with our minds. We should be able to win. We should be able to overcome. And it's all available to us. But I'm very serious when I say this. Do you know how many marriages would not have the problems they have if the husband and the wife were submitted to the word of God? You'd be amazed at how many arguments would be settled. If the wife would honestly look at the word and see what God says on how to deal with the issue. If the husband will look at the word and see what God says on how to deal with this issue. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I am realizing it is crystallizing so clear in my mind. Our biggest problem is we close the book and open our mouths. That's our problem. That's our problem. Is we're too busy? Closing the book and speaking what we feel and what we think and all these other things where God is like, you know, I could solve this in five minutes. God's like, I could literally solve this problem in five minutes if hearts were submitted to my words. And so I, I'm saying something to you that maybe there's a lot of you in this room that's like, yeah, I heard this before. God is not concerned about what you heard. God is concerned, concerned about what are you doing with what you heard. Can you honestly look at your life and say, I patterned my life after the word of God? If I have agreements or disagreements, it's based on the word. If I hold office in the church, I function based on the word. And this is the biggest reason why the church is in the trouble they're in, why homes are in the trouble they're in, and why many of us as individuals are in the trouble we're in. We're not going to the world. How many of us harbor things in our heart against each other? We come to church and give fake happy Sabbaths. When we know I got something in my heart against you. What does the word say? The word says go to your... God says don't even offer me your gift. Don't even come to me for worship until you go to your brother and settle your issue. Do you know how many of us, literally heaven's recording of our worship is God says, vain. Because he knows, he's like, you know that I told you in my word, go to the person first, leave your gift. That, that gift is part of the offering, the worship offering. God says, leave it. This is all in Matthew chapter five. He says, leave it. Go settle the issue with your brother or your sister. And we refuse to do it. We refuse to do it. We use culture and all these excuses. We use these, reason, these things as the reason why I know I can't go to my brother and tell him that I have a problem with him. I can't go to my sister and tell him I have a problem with him. I, I, I'm too afraid. I'm too this. Listen, I'm too afraid. God says, fear not. Be of good courage. Family, I'm telling you the truth. The reason our problems are so strongly existent in our world today is we won't submit to this word. I want to spend the rest of my life by the grace of God, and I have realized that it is the most rarest thing on planet Earth to live by the word of God, to do everything according to the word. The lazy mind says, no, I don't want to, I don't want to read. I don't want to take the time to open up the Bible and actually think about it. You know, I'm going to tell you a quick little story here. Yeah, I'm watching it. My conference president called me yesterday. And I talked with him once on the phone before we had a great conversation. But my respect for him, let's say it was here, you know, which is good. But after my conversation with him yesterday, my respect for him went way up there. Seriously, my respect, my, my respect shot through the roof of that man. I'm just telling you shot through the roof. I remember we were talking and uh, 
we had a point where I was telling him, yeah, such and such says this. And he said, no, it doesn't say that. I said, no, I said, I'm telling you, it says this. And then he was like, okay, he said, hold on, hold on, let me see. And he, he puts me on hold, grabs a book, comes back, opens up the book, and he says, all right. He says, I got the page in front of me, let's read it. And then he reads it. And when he read it really slow, he helped me see that there was something I thought it said that it did not say. And then he said, now he says, now Dwayne, he says, I'll tell you. He says, I already knew that what you were sharing wasn't right. But he said, but I wanted to take the time to go ahead and read through it since you were so convinced about it so you could see it for yourself. Now that's one of several reasons why my respect went through the roof for my interaction with him yesterday. But I said, he took the time, this is conference president, these are busy people, but he took the time knowing he was right, but he took the time to say, he believes something that's not wholly accurate, so let me go ahead and show him. Do you know if we did that with each other in our friendships, in our marriages, if we did that in more areas of life, we would see way more problems solved than what we're seeing right now. A lot of the bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the, 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 all of those things would disappear because Jesus would wipe it away. And so when I show you this submission, this, this demonstration of self-control that Jesus had, knowing he's right. And in this moment of deepest temptation, he's submitting himself, therefore, to the words of God. And that became his source of strength. And he went through it once, but he ultimately became victorious. This is the story for you and I. You see, Revelation 3 and verse 10 says, because thou hast, this is to the church of Philadelphia, right? God says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, notice that, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Do you see it? Keep my word, deliverance from temptation. Keep my word, deliverance from temptation. Submit to my word, even though you don't feel it. Deliverance from temptation. We're told God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character. It says, in his humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil, which means that his life was perfected by a constant submission to the word of God. That's how he overcame. That's how you can overcome. What are you watching right now that you know the word of God condemns? Can you erase it? Can you cut it off? Can you get a friend to hold you accountable? Give them the password so they could put the blocks on everything that you normally would look at and indulge in. You could do that right now. Literally, some of you who are in bondage to social media and some of the evil stuff that comes through it, you could be delivered right now. But it's going to take effort. And just because it takes a lot of effort doesn't mean it's not God's plan. Jesus' life was a life of constant Resistance. Some of, some of us are staying in the condition we're in right now because of our own choices, brothers and sisters. And God is like, I can deliver you, but you're going to have to make some choices. That'll never take away. He gives the power. He gives everything, but we got to yield. I know this temptation that I'm putting in front of you, for those of you who are hungry, But do you know that when you eat all of this food, you know sooner or later you got to stop, right? Sooner or later you got to stop. You're going to get too full. You're going to hurt yourself, right? So even though fruit is really good for you, sooner or later you got to stop. There's a law that says you got to stop. Did you know that there's a fruit? You don't have any law against it. You can eat as much as you want. <laughs> the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, what else is on the list? Temperance, and God says, and against such there is no law. You can have as much of it as you want. You could be as self-controlled as you desire. Can you imagine that? God is so good. God is so good. How do we make this thing work? True story. There's a story of a, of a girl, she's in college, 
and she had to go through some books so she can pass her class. And she was reading this one book. And this book was so boring to her. I mean, it was boring. I don't know if you've ever been in school and you got to read certain books, but they're absolutely boring. Well, here it is that she's bored to death. So eventually what ends up happening is her previous professor had to take a leave for different reasons, and a substitute professor comes in. Handsome gentleman, good-looking guy, very charismatic. And that brother comes in there, teaches a class, and he comes in, and her eye sees him, and his eye sees her. And next thing you know, he starts talking to her. She talks back to him. And as they start talking to each other, they develop like for one another. And after several months, that like turns into love. Well, here it is that as she's talking with him one day, she reflected back on her class. And she says, she starts laughing, and he's looking at her like, why are you laughing? And she says, there's this book that I have to go through in class. And she says, you know, it's a little hard for me to get engaged. But she says, but you know what's really funny? She says, your name and the author's name of the book is the same. And she says, isn't that just so funny? And he's like, well, kind of. He says, I did write that book. <laughs> and she goes, you wrote that book? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. She was like, well, isn't that something? The night goes by, and what is she doing up until the middle of the night? <laughs> Reading the book. Every page she goes through, she's like, oh, woohoo! <laughs> All of a sudden, she is loving this book. This book that was so boring, this book that was like so uninteresting, all of a sudden, she loves that book. And the question is, what made the difference? The answer is, she knew the author. Once she knew the author, love made it easy. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that's what God is saying. God says, how can you become more temperate? How can you become more self-controlled? How does all of this happen? God says, love makes it easy. It's hard to obey a being you don't know and you don't love. It's hard to say no to wrong and yes to right for somebody that you don't have an intimate connection with. God says, what makes temperance work is the first fruit. You see, the last fruit was temperance. The first fruit was love. And that's what God says for each and every one of you. And he promises, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there is awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. It lets us know, upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. Temperance will become easier to you when you love the author of it, when you know the author of it. And my encouragement to each and every one of you is get to know Jesus more. Look at his life. Study him intimately. Look at him and say, Lord, oh, that I might be like you. You will find that the more that you love Christ, the easier it will be to say no to that which is wrong and yes to that which is right based off of a love and understanding and appreciation for him and his words. And my question to you today is how many of us are willing to be honest and say, Lord, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. I got some areas in my life where I see clear bondage. And I see Satan and his host having their way with me in my mind. But today, by your grace, Lord, I want to be free. And this depth of submission that we have studied today is the depth that you are willing to go so that you can experience the overcoming victorious power that Jesus himself experienced. If that's you, then could you please stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. And you're going to find that God's going to help you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And we can truly do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I thank you for your stand, and I want you to know that he stands with you. By faith, we already told that Michael's going to stand up in the last days, but he's standing right now, right next to each and every one of you. And there might be some of you in this room that if you've never, ever given your heart to Christ, if you've never made a decision to follow the Lord, and maybe you want to say, you know what, I, I want to do that. And maybe you want to go ahead and have studies. I mean, this, this, is, this is one of the reasons I'm here and the elders as well. 
is that we can study together. We could talk about how to live that surrendered life. And so I'd be remiss if I did not ask, if there's one of you in this room, would you have just a smidgen of boldness to slip your hand in the air and say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I, I've never given my life to Jesus. I never made a true, firm decision to give my life to Jesus Christ, to be wholly submitted to him and let him have his way. But I'm willing to do it today for the first time. Not only pray for me, but maybe we can visit, we can study, we can talk. Is there one person in the room that says, yeah, that's me. I just don't want to pass you by because sometimes we don't always get to see each other again even though that's our plans. Is there one person that says that? I just don't want to pass by anybody in the event that there might even be one that says that. Is there one? Is there one? All right, and praise God. Let's go ahead and let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we truly thank you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunities to submit ourselves unto you, which is to submit ourselves to your words, even though there are times we don't feel any of it. But Lord, you promise that as we do it, you give us good feelings later. Help us to trust, help us to believe, help us to overcome as Christ overcame. And to be more in control rather than out of it is our prayer we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.